Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 130 for the 14th of January, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here once again with Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. Good to have you. Um, we've got quite a long list of things this week. It's been a busy week, I guess, uh, now that everybody's settled into the new year. I, I, one of the more interesting pieces on Naked Security from my perspective for the week was a story that our researcher James White wrote on the zero access botnet takedown. You know, Microsoft had made some pretty bold claims back in December about their legal machinations that led to uh, taking it down, as it were. Were they successful? What were the conclusions that, that James reached? So he's been watching quite carefully to see whether the bot would be able to reinvent itself. Um, but it does look in this case that Microsoft have been able to do enough damage to the infrastructure at the middle of the zero access botnet, the actual net part of the botnet, that the crooks seem to have given up on it. I don't think for a moment that that means that they've stopped being cyber crooks, but it looks as though they're going to try and reinvent themselves. And that's obviously going to be tougher than simply redirecting existing bots to new servers. The bad news, I suppose, is that they will probably make more use of peer-to-peer -peer technology to give them a bit more resilience against the takedown of the middle of the bot. Yeah, I noticed in the story that it mentioned the, uh, the, the, the white flag in the malware, which was sort of uh, them surrendering, saying, you know, Microsoft had won. I'm not sure how much I'd read into that. As much as a white flag, it could be a false flag. I mean, unless they're put in jail and are behind bars, it's unlikely these individuals are going to stop being thieves. That's exactly the conclusion James reached in his article. It's an excellent reminder that relying on companies like Microsoft knocking out the actual net part of a botnet is nowhere near as powerful a tool as all of us lifting our game and knocking out the bot part of the botnet. In other words, if we don't get infected in the first place, we don't have these zombies calling home and the botnet never gets a chance to exist in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the botnet problem is still a major problem out there. And in fact, a lot of the malware that we talk about on the podcast are actually being distributed through a lot of these botnets. So when we talk about CryptoLocker, for example, it piggybacks on other things, often other bots. And, and that's a, a distribution method for the malware as much as it is a control method for the crooks. So they not only can have your computer sending spam or participating in a denial of service, but at the same time, they're also going to drop a banking trojan and encrypt your hard drive while they're at it. It's important to remember that bots and botnets aren't just any old malware, that we're not talking about a piece of malware that perhaps has one or two hard-coded things in it. We are talking about the actual money-making machinery of cybercrime. The key things that almost every bot has are A, an ability to update itself at the command of the crooks, and B, the ability to install any other software it likes at the whim of the crooks. That's why when you read an analysis of a bot by a security researcher, you probably aren't going to get a definitive list of what this thing might have done on your computer, because you simply can't tell until after the fact. Which kind of raises the next topic, which is uh, mobile banking applications. As uh, The guys over at IOActive uh, did some research into the security of these banking apps, these things that allow you to deposit a check by taking a picture with your iPhone or 
um, simply, you know, monitoring your accounts and, and, and moving money around and seeing what you have. I think a lot of folks load these apps to avoid maybe some of the pitfalls you're talking about. They're worried about key loggers and all these things. And if there's an app from the bank, they feel safer than when they're maybe using mobile Firefox or Safari in their, in their phone. It turns out it's kind of the opposite, isn't it? Yes. Chester, two problems stood out particularly from uh, Ariel Sanchez's paper from IOActive. The first one was that these dedicated banking apps, 70% of them had no support at all for two-factor authentication, even when the bank might have been pushing two-factor authentication for its browser-based solution. Even worse, 40% of the apps that were tested would use HTTPS when connecting to the bank site, but would not validate the SSL certificate that was presented by the other end. So if you're in a coffee shop, anybody can man in the middle of you and present any SSL certificate, and the banking app, the one given to you by the bank that you're supposed to trust more than you trust your browser, wouldn't say a word. Yeah, it, it's, it's really uh, shocking to me. I mean, it's really shoddy. You have this confidence that, of course, uh, this thing is branded and you would think locked down and would have no features that it didn't need. Um, is your recommendation, uh, you know, after reading their research to just stick with the browser for everything? That would be my preferred approach. The real problem is that the bank is presenting you with an app and therefore the implication is, as you say, that this should somehow be better and more secure because it's the one that they provide. And in fact, the security may be much worse. Well, I guess while we're talking about banking, uh, leads us to the next story. I mean, Target, unfortunately, is staying in the headlines and and not because uh, they've released all the details and discovered exactly what happened, but rather they're finding out more of what happened. And now we've added another potential 70 million victims to the list of people who've had some data compromised in this breach. A um, lot of criticism of Target out there. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts? Well, of course, not only did two buses come along at once, the 40 million payment cards breached, and then 70 million other sorts of database record about individuals breached. But Target's CEO has actually now gone public and admitted that, yes, they did discover that there was malware on their point-of-sale registers. He wasn't able to go into any more detail, obviously. I guess there's an investigation underway, and maybe they simply don't know. Um, but it certainly Target certainly is in a world of hurt, and, of course, so are all their customers and their so-called guests. So, you know, if you've entered a competition or requested a catalogue or just dealt with the company in some way, even not as a customer, you might have had name, address, phone number, that sort of stuff stolen as well. Uh, hopefully, this is the last that we hear of it. Just if I may, you know, I don't mean to excuse the fact that Target has lost an awful lot of data about an awful lot of people who thought they could trust the organisation. But a ha big hats off to the Target CEO who went public, went on CNBC and actually said the following words, we are accountable and we are responsible. I thought that was a very big of him to do that. So it does look as though they are committed to finding out what happened and telling us and not letting it happen again. Of course, I didn't buy anything from Target in November or December last year. So maybe it's easy for me to say that. 
Yeah, we'll see what further details emerge. Um, Neiman Marcus has come forward, said they had a card data breach around the same time, but they've yet to release any details. So they haven't announced how many people, um, whether it was uh, retail only. I, I think there was a mention they believed that their internet shoppers were safe. For folks who may not be familiar with the brand, since it's a, a more niche uh, brand than Target, it's a, a luxury goods retailer in the United States, uh, doesn't have a lot of locations, so it's likely to be significantly smaller than the Target breach. But no one's quite sure yet whether it may be related, and, and Brian Krebs, I believe, reported that there may be three other retailers uh, who have yet to come forward to announce that they had a breach over the holiday period. It's yet to be seen how far and wide some of these compromises in the U.S. might have been over the holiday period. Well, I guess if it can happen to Target, it can probably happen to anybody, particularly this problem that it looks as though they have had malware on their point-of-sale registers. And you'll be presenting a paper about this at RSA in February in San Francisco, won't you? The, the, the reason crooks like to get malware on a point-of-sale register is that they can then watch for credit card data in memory. And that completely does an end run around any on-disk encryption that might be mandated by the PCI DSS standards. It's wait for the magstripe or the card data to pop into memory, grab it out of memory, and they've kind of made off with it before the payment's even processed. I think it's important to remember as well that this is not just large organizations like Target. Uh, in the paper we're presenting, go through by industry and by size of organizations places that we've seen this malware installed, and it covers pretty much every base, from mom-and-pop operations all the way on up to some rather large brands and, and chains that you probably uh, do business with. The best defense is, don't get a malware infection on your point-of-sale registers. They're kind of more important than that. Well, and one of the ways you do that, of course, is by getting your patches. Uh, today's Patch Tuesday. Uh, while the, the fixes haven't been released yet, uh, as of the time of the podcast, we do know that Microsoft is releasing four updates and uh, a rather lightweight Patch Tuesday. Yes. You don't know whether to say, wow, that's really good that there are so few patches, or gosh, have they been snoozing over December and just haven't found many bugs. It's a special sort of Patch Tuesday when the first of the month is on a Wednesday and it's the right quarter of the year, then Microsoft, Adobe and Oracle all align. So this Patch Tuesday includes Oracle patches, and I guess given they have a lot of products, about 40 products they're patching, and that they only patch four times a year, not 12 times a year, there's quite a whopper of a list of fixes, aren't there? Yeah, the 144 total. Uh, of course, the ones I typically focus on are related to Java, which... Java has 36 fixes, and 34 of those 36 are remote code execution, which are the most dangerous type. So I'm sticking with my standard advice of please get rid of Java, please get rid of Java. Quarterly is not frequent enough when you're having that quantity of fixes having to be bundled in, especially when they're all remotely exploitable. If you have Java installed, that is a must patch. Yeah, and unfortunately for most people, uh, they probably do. The good news is that the Recent versions of Java ship with an updater, so make sure you're running the current version, do a check, and if you are, you should get a notification within a day or so of the fixes coming out, uh, alerting you to do the install. And we probably shouldn't need to say this, which means we're going to anyway. Java is not JavaScript, and while most of us probably do need JavaScript in our browsers, many of us do not need Java and can do without it. 
So if you haven't got around to turning off Java in your browser yet, unless you're absolutely certain that you need it for something, try turning it off. The worst that can happen is that some things you need won't work and you can just turn it back on again. If nothing goes wrong, you can just leave it turned off and the world will be a much safer place for you. And the last thing I wanted to discuss on patching was to bring up the rather controversial subject of OS X Mavericks, uh, the latest release of Apple's operating system for their desktop computer platform. I've concluded by looking at Apple's uh, security page that they consider Mavericks to actually be an update or a fix, basically, for previous versions of OS X, that they are no longer going to release independent fixes that they used to call either point releases, or they occasionally would have something called Security Update 2013-003. It looks like that's done, right? The, the fix for versions 10.6, 10.7, and 10.8 is simply to run 10.9. And for some reason, that's raising a bit of controversy amongst Apple users. Yes, Chester, I agree, because I too went and looked at that page, HT1222, the page about security fixes, and you're right. There's an update, which is the last one where you see anything before 10.9 mentioned by version number that says OS 10.6.8 and later update to 10.9. And then the next update that has a version number in it for the operating system is 10.9.1. So I think you've hit the nail on the head. If you don't upgrade to Mavericks, whether you can't or won't, you aren't going to be getting security patches whether you like that idea or not. Now, that, that doesn't exclude the fact that Apple may release some fixes for other applications on your system. I know a lot of folks are bringing up the fact that Safari was fixed. Yes, I mean, it's good that there was a Safari 6.1 update that applied to Lion and Mountain Lion, but that's not quite the same as a fix to the raft of software that, that makes up the operating system itself. Because if you go back to that 10.9, the Mavericks release, there's a laundry list of important security fixes in there. To the best of my knowledge, none of those have been backported and shipped yet to 10.7 and 10.8. So if you're going, oh, well, Apple will get round to it in a few months, that's not really a security patch then, is it? Well, uh, I guess we'll let folks go and get on with doing their patching. And uh, that concludes Software Security Chat Chat episode 130. Uh, as always, for the latest security news, you can visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. For this podcast and for all of our podcasts, you can go to soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>